Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Tara Youngblood. We're going to be talking about the three pillars of sleep. Tara is the founder and CSO and co-founder of Sleep Me, also known as the Chili Pad or Chili Sleep, a company that creates award-winning technologies and apps that are changing the way the world sleeps. She keeps on innovating and she shares so much uh, wealth of knowledge around these three pillars. We know that insomnia and sleep issues are an epidemic in our society, and I'm really hoping that this can help move the needle in your quest to get good sleep. Welcome, Tara. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. It's it's really great to talk to you. Oh, awesome. So, you know, our paths have crossed. You know, I have done some work with Chili Pad. I have a Chili Pad. I love Chili Pad. And I've done like a really deep dive into sleep with my product, Somnium. And so there's a lot of synergy with how we are really trying to help people sleep. <laughs> and, you know, insomnia is such a really, you know, it's way more common than we think. And in modern life, we have so many factors that we're up against to get healthy sleep. And we know for so many reasons that our health of our body and our brain and our emotional state is so important to have a good night's sleep. So why don't we just kind of start, like, how did you become so passionate about sleep? How did you really make this your life's work? Insomnia was something I've kind of always struggled with. Even as a little kid, I'd be the one caught underneath the covers reading with a flashlight kind of thing. Just wasn't always a great sleeper. And then actually shortly after we invented the chili pad, which was really about temperature, we lost our youngest son very suddenly and the grief and depression that came from that, I pretty much stopped sleeping. I know if you don't sleep at all, you die. So you can go longer without food than you can without sleep. But I was as close to like not sleeping all the time it'd be. And so that sort of connection between mental health and sleep and stress for me became this horrible tsunami of, of not sleeping. And it really became a path of, I'm going to have to figure my way out of this and find a way because the memory, you know, the brain fog, the memory loss, showing up in a room and not knowing what the heck am I here for? That is so prevalent with insomniacs. It was definitely just, it was just hard to be a mom to the, my, the rest of my boys when that happened. So I really started this uh, really over the last 15 years. I explored our Vic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine. I, I made friends with my acupuncturist and she had an extra set of books. So I literally went through the whole, all the textbooks on it of like, oh, this is so interesting. But then also spent some time on neurosurgery and neuroscience kind of, again, there was a neurosurgeon it's about me kind of like hacking my way through, but it, you know, really fascinating. And then psychology, as I found my way through depression and, and grief was really intriguing, but all of those plus others all approach sleep differently. And so for me, it was about, that's how I got to the three pillars is there's gotta be some consistent framework. And what is the consistent framework? Because we were been talking about it ahead of time on the show is nothing works for everybody. There's no one magic, anything that is going to be a hundred percent of the population. And so how do you still have a framework that will work for everybody that can deliver a good outcome? And I kind of look at it like baking bread. You can bake bread all sorts of ways. There's even bread that is gluten-free and doesn't have what we think wheat is like a core ingredient, but it turns out it doesn't have to be. You can make things with whatever you want, but there are key parts. Otherwise it isn't bread. So I think that's how I got to sleep and these three pillars of my 
mindset, behavior, and environment for sleep. And within that, there is a framework that anybody can beat this insomnia thing because it's not any fun. No, no. And I'm so sorry about your loss. And, you know, if there's any silver lining, which is hard to even contemplate when you lose a child, but I'm really going in this deep dive and helping all the people that you've helped because of this knowledge that you're going to continue to spread the word and share. And, you know, I think that's really interesting that how you pulled from all these different kind of thought processes and perspectives, right? You know, kind of we have the you know, Eastern medicine and the ancient philosophies and then the modern art or science and just kind of like weaving kind of your own knowledge base. And so let's walk walk through these three pillars. So let's start with the first one. Where would you, where do you like to start? So I actually usually start with environment. Part of the bias is a little bit with the temperature, but also when you think about sleep and how sleep has evolved in mammals in general, not just humans, but we think about sleep as sort of all tied to insomnia. And there's lots of studies that show that early tribes didn't even have a word for insomnia. It's a relatively new phenomenon of this sleeplessness. They would often tie it to, if I was dreaming a lot or wandering a lot, then it would be, you know, some tie to God or spirituality looking for them to do that. But it wasn't really this chronic thing like we have today. I think you also mentioned modern world is is pretty different and it puts different things in perspective. So sleep was always driven by the environment, light and temperature and not necessarily light like when it got dark, because they'd hang her out around the campfire. That's not the same as 9 a.m. high noon sun. And so it's different light, it's different connections, it's different temperature. And so when we think about where sleep lives in our brain, it's in that old part of our brain, not old as in like baby or old person or geriatric, but more like evolutionary old. So it's very involuntary from an environment perspective. So that's a pretty heavy one is to figure out sound and smell and light and temperature. All of your senses, both unconscious and conscious, are going to be highly driven to help you sleep. Obviously, the other pillars matter as well, but that environment is critical to understand what are the things that feel good about falling asleep in that environment that you have today. And it's such a great point. And I I think that's fascinating that, you know, this is a modern phenomenon, insomnia. So kind of what's your like environmental checklist, if you will, like, how do you walk people through sleep hygiene, or just kind of really making sure we have as kind of primal in a modern life setting, you know, conditions to help us get that restorative sleep that we all need? Yeah. So first, I I like the idea of a sleep ritual and it it really can apply whether you're putting a child to bed or whether you're putting yourself to a bed. We work with athletes that travel and your sleep ritual isn't always the same at home as it is in a hotel room. Hotel rooms are terrible for sleep. So but you think about what are the things you need to do to help you sleep. And with that environment, you want to try to think about change of environment. So the key is actually when the temperature starts to change or when the light starts to change and the neurons in your brain are actually triggered by that change. And today there's really no change in our temperature. So in our houses, we've got one temperature. It's probably day and night. Maybe it drops a little, but not significant. But our bodies are looking for a change in light and temperature and even a dimming of the sound. If you think about it, it gets quieter at night. Sounds are different than they are during the day. None of that happens in our modern lives very easily unless we're deliberate about it. So we want to be thinking about from whenever it is before you go to bed, two to three hours before, is my environment changing to help prep my body for 
bedtime and sleep. Because when you do, that is actually what triggers the release of melatonin. I know there's a lot of people that will take melatonin or even give them to their kids, but it is a hormone you should produce naturally. Again, when that change happens, your body will trigger a release of it. And that's naturally how it happens. And then in the morning, when you wake up or it starts to get brighter out, that's your body actually will turn off sleep. There's a sleep switch and it's on as melatonin and off. You get a little cortisol in a good way. Cortisol gets a bad rap, but good cortisol in the morning to help you wake up and get started. Awesome. You know, the light, you know, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I've had some speakers um, already around like circadian biology and lighting and circadian lighting and all these, you know, wonderful ways to look at light, but temperature often gets missed. And so tell me kind of that temperature change and kind of what our body does at Mm -hmm. night when we sleep. How do we really optimize those stages of sleep via temperature changing? Yeah. So when you think about sleep, there's really sleep, three sort of stages that we put a bucket into. Very generalized. Deep sleep is not a fancy name and light sleep and even REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement. Those are sort of the three buckets of sleep. I like buckets because it's easy to put things in that category. And sleep, if you put on a sleep tracker, isn't going to look nice and pretty like a hypnograph, which is the fancy name for what that looks like in your sleep cycles. But it's not going to look like that if you pull it up on your sleep tracker, even though in, in general, your cycle or can be 90 minutes long. In general, you're going to have more deep sleep in the first half of the night and more REM sleep in the second half of the night. But those are kind of windows of opportunity. So when I think about the first half of the night or the window of opportunity for deep sleep, what's happening with your core body temperatures is actually trying to drop two degrees, which doesn't sound like a lot. You're like, well, I'm 98 degrees and two degrees. That's Is that really a percentage of that really means something? When you're running a fever, two degrees feels like a lot. So you also need to think about that two degrees is going to be what facilitates and kind of pushes you into deep sleep. So if you're hot when you're sleeping, a lot of the modern mattresses with the foam are all really comfortable, but they're going to reflect that heat back. That's not going to help you sleep if you're covered up. And that's where the ambient room temperature can have an effect. But you really want to be thermal neutral to cold a little bit in that first half of the night. It doesn't need to be freezing cold like on a slab of ice, although there are people that like to be super cold to sleep. It just means you're cooler than 98 degrees. So that little, again, I like the idea of baking bread, I guess. But if you're sort of inside your little cocoon cave, think about that cave should be cooler than 98 degrees. And if you're all wrapped up, you might be heating yourself up instead of cooling yourself down, which may prevent you from deep sleep. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, significant. And as you said, like modern mattresses and even like, you know, natural mattresses and, you know, the, you know, things like that can really trap heat. And then, you know, in my patient population, sometimes they can have night sweats, not only to hormonal shifts in women, but you're dealing with chronic infections. Sometimes you can be really hot at night and then people can get really poor sleep and then they need sleep in order to heal. And so it's this vicious cycle. So, you know, I, I mean, I'd love for you, we can definitely link and have people explore more, but you know, you guys invented something to help this. So just share a little bit about the inspiration about your invention and kind of how it helps to, you know, induce and allow that temperature shift so people can get deeper, you know, deeper and more restorative sleep across the board. 
Yeah. So my husband, Todd, and I invented this. And and really, it started because we sleep at very different temperatures. Todd gets very hot at night. You can actually almost feel the heat coming off of him like a heat, heat register. And I was like on the other side going, oh my gosh, you're, you're making me roast over here. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, some of that's changed. But that was the, the premises was I want to be one temperature. He wants to be another temperature. Climate control seats where a driver and passenger in a car were getting different temperatures. I'm like, I want that in my bag. Like when I'm trying to sleep, I want to be the temperature that works for me. And so sleep is very personal yeah. that way. It's something we do do together and it's great to sleep with someone, but your temperature is often, I think it's some ridiculous number in the nineties, depending on your, which study you look at, but 90 some percent of people are going to sleep at a different temperature, even if they have other similar days and they live together. So it's important to think about those temperatures separately, but what the chili pad does is it really allows you to, to sort of regulate your temperature. It really works like a radiator does for your car. So your car is cooled by running this fluid over the engine to pull the heat off. It's a heat exchanger, kind of the fancier name for it, but it's pulling that heat off. It can pull off as much as you want. That's where there's sort of different levels. We have different products that do it slightly different ways. Your cube and their Uller are going to do it through tubing. The new Doc Pro does it through this sort of membrane, but all of it's just water. There's no electricity in the bed. All of the electricity is off to the side and it's on a far enough tube and a far enough distance that you're not going to get EMFs in the bed. That's really important to me as a physicist to not sort of do harm while we're trying to do good. And so keeping that water at the temperature that you want to have sort of again to keep your body cooler than the 98 degrees when you're trying to have that first half of the night. And then actually REM sleep actually likes it warmer. So warming up in the morning actually really helps your body again to release that cortisol, turn off the sleep switch and get you warm. So the Uller will have a warm awake alarm as well as the Doc Pro. So you can actually wake up instead of having a sound wake you up, you can actually have that temperature kind of warm you up out of sleep. And although you like may like snuggling into bed, when you get too warm, you actually do wake up in the morning. It's that timing of your circadian rhythm plus the warming that will put you into a, oh my gosh, I just need to get out of bed now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I love it. And, you know, what a better way than to rely on your alarm clock or your phone, you know, that people have in their beds, you know, more and more that you can have like way more kind of easeful way into the day. I love it. So Tara, we, I mean, we just covered pillar one, you know, so what, what's pillar two? So behaviors. Yeah, I know. It's, it doesn't seem like a lot when you do three pillars, but there's a fair amount to, to each of those. But mindset and behaviors. Behaviors I usually do next because a lot of people do things that sabotage their sleep and they just don't know it. So sleep starts when you turn it off in the morning. Mm. That's the mechanism. I like to picture it like full balloons and empty balloons. And you're going to like have an empty balloon in the morning and it's going to fill up and then it gets deflated while you sleep. So you want it fully empty. You want to really create that mechanism that's clean on and clean off for sleep. And one of the ways you can do that is to get up when you're told, you know, want to get up, don't snooze the alarm, get up warm, uh, get out and get sunlight, really start that sleep, manage your stress throughout the day, you know, all of those behaviors. But then also, you know, it's really easy. I know during the pandemic, a lot of people had a glass of wine and before they went to bed, because the sedative feels really good to fall asleep, but working out, eating late, drinking, 
all of those warm up your body, their metabolism increases in order to burn that food or alcohol or whatever that is. And so it's going to make you hotter. So you're going to start sort of in that deficit. So again, that two degrees colder is going to be a lot harder. So what we do during the day actually has a big impact on that sleep. And so, you know, managing all of those behaviors is is really a critical part. All of them will be different. You might read tips, for example, that say no caffeine. Now, Todd is immune to caffeine. He really, his neural receptors just don't work. And there's a certain population that it does. So whatever those behaviors are, take, take it, just like I said, that's where the framework is important. Take it for a grain of salt. If that doesn't help you, then find some other behaviors and management that are going to help based on your chronotype, which is sort of morning person or night person. Morning people are way more susceptible to some of those behaviors that are destructive. We kind of like a more rigid schedule than a night person that can be a little bit more relaxed and all over the place. Yeah, I I like that chronotype, right? That kind of how we're all, you know, individual. And I mean, how about you? Like, has it been fun or kind of distracting when seeing all these people now track their sleep, right? With the aura rings and the garments and the Apple watches and all the things, you know, we're learning, right? Like if you have these things that, you know, I mean, I, I feel like it can help behavior modification, right? You can see like, oh my gosh, I had that glass of wine. My sleep wasn't, you know, good the next, you know, that night or, you know, I was up watching TV until whatever and it took me forever to fall asleep. Have you used or kind of like observed or kind of worked with any of these sleep tracking systems just for kind of your learning and kind of, you know, observation? Yeah. So I think I've tried almost all of them over the years, for sure, as a sort of data junkie. The one carve out I will say is that, you know, use it for data tracking. Sleep is kind of like diet, you know, where, okay, I, I started my diet. I did really well today. And what the heck? I didn't lose any weight. Those kind of things happen with sleep too. So sleep is a look back. You'll often see like when you're not feeling well, there was COVID uh, cases that they tracked with aura rings and that you would see the body temperature and some of those other metrics like HRV change before they actually showed symptoms and got sick. So it's important to remember with sleep that it's not this sort of absolute. If you look at your sleep tracker and say, well, it said I sucked. It could be because you're about to get sick. It could be because there's underlying stress. There could be other things that are going on. So also don't let it beat you up too bad because you may not have a perfect sleep score. And it may not be because Mm -hmm. your behaviors were all bad and you screwed up. It may be just something else is going on. So it is important to not like turn it into something that makes you feel bad, but use it for empowerment and data tracking. We actually just came out with a sleep tracker and it is in your bed. It's not a wearable. It is very low EMF. So it's actually just takes impact and measures the impact. And then all of the sensors happen outside of your bed. So it's very low from that perspective. But the fun part about what it does do, and this was really about me having sleep optimized while you're unconscious. So the use of AI for self-driving cars or just pulling up your GPS and saying, how do I get home today? It's not because you don't know how to get home. It's because there could be an accident. There could be something that a road that's closed and you want to find out what's going on that day. So actually the sleep tracker connects with the doc pro and we call Hyber is the name of our AI algorithm. So it'll optimize for deep sleep and REM sleep 
automatically while you're in bed. So it recognizes when you're in bed and so in real time. So it's not a look back like any of the other trackers. It's the only one in the world that is measuring in real time and then making temperature adjustments because again, that temperature is magical and how it talks to your brain and is gonna adjust that. So again, it has more sort of grace to it. So if you did have that glass of wine, it's gonna say, okay, you're still a little bit hot. I'm gonna actually crank it down a little bit more and try to still get you that deep sleep in the moment to be able to manage that. So that is one of those that may be worthwhile looking at. But again, I've, I've worn Aura and Whoop done with things. And over the years, my son actually said that for a while it was like Frankenstein bed. I actually raised the bed. I put blocks underneath it because there were so many things when I was trying to baseline them that I, I had trackers everywhere for a period of time, especially as we were building ours. I'm like, okay, this... <laughs> Not good EMFs, but we're just going to try to... I know. I was like, I could only imagine the dinner conversations, right? I'm trying to, you know, figure all this out. And you know, the, the, that's such an innovative, you know, almost like a biofeedback sleep kind of device, you know, like in a, a really natural way. So that, that's so, so cool. I, I love what you're doing. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I, I have to definitely learn more because, you know, the chronic illness patients that I see, like life is unpredictable. You know, these are wonderful people who have like such amazing rituals and, you know, they do all their things and, you know, just some days uh -huh. are different than others. And so this is, yeah, this is something to really uh, explore. I'm, I'm excited. Really cool. Really cool. Tara, I guess now with three, right? Pillar three. What, what's pillar three then? Well, we didn't get to mindset. And mindset is is really actually what sort of connects well and brings us back around to sort of GABA and GABA creams, even though that's mindset versus sort of a behavior or supplement. But at the end of the day, what it's trying to do is is calm down our our brains and our, our minds and settle things out. And so that mindset, you know, the stress is probably the biggest enemy of sleep and, you know, full circle of what's happening in our modern lives that is different to our tribal ancestors that didn't handle stress the same way. For them, stress really was there might have been a lion that was trying to eat them and they'd go into fight or flight and they're going to manage that scenario with the lion, but then they move on. And today we have lion kind of responses when we're in traffic, when we have a disagreement with a coworker, with family things. It, it doesn't seem to break the way that it used to where it was put aside way more. There's a lot more time spent on spirituality. So whatever that looks like for you, it doesn't have to be necessarily prayer, but that idea of sort of connecting with people, being more in a space that is family focused, you release oxytocin, you know, we are herd animals. So when we spend more time in that sort of more peaceful state and away from stress, that is what delivers amazing sleep. And that's probably the, one of the hardest things in today's world is making sure you're managing stress and keeping all of that where it should be and managing what it, it looks like. Because for better or worse, none of us are getting our arms ripped off by a lion now. So what do we do to keep that in perspective instead of letting that overrule everything in our lives. And then by the time we get to bed, it's this big, scary thing. And we're not able to control that stress. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, you know, I feel like, especially in our culture, you know, we hear it all the time, right? People just ruminate at night or they're worried or they're, you know, trying to work things out or something that is not processed. And, 
you know, they're, they're just, it's impacting their sleep, you know, tremendously, like they're not processing and trying to do all these things to manage, you know, that during the day, it can show up at night, can't, you know, you can't run from it or hide from it or suppress it, it shows up somewhere, right? So no really good points. And I I like that you said we're herd animals. I, I really do feel like we're wired to be in connection and community and that we are just such, you know, we just do better when we're connected. And, you know, we're just coming out of a time where people were extremely isolated and, you know, we're, you know, we're learning kind of the ramifications of that, you know, people are more stressed and anxious and depressed than ever, right? So we really need to think about how we're connecting. And if you're not, you know, figure out, you know, how can you make healthy connections to feel, you'll feel better, you know, Mm -hmm. more wired to feel better in that way. It turns out those hug things are pretty magical. <laughs> it's not it's not that complicated, but you know, find find someone to hug at least once a day and that that does keep the doctor away. Not in a bad way against doctors, but you know, like the apple thing, but hugs and connections absolutely keep you healthy. Yeah, I love it. As we wrap up, you know, just a curiosity and totally okay if you're don't have too much kind of insider research on this, but I'm curious on like the dreaming phenomenon, you know, you're here, you are, you know, you know, an expert in sleep, helping people sleep all the time. You know, you have this next innovation. I mean, obviously there's dreaming, you know, that happens, you know, through all phases, but especially REM sleep. And, you know, some people remember their dreams. Some people don't. Some people think there's just it's random. Some people think there's a spiritual connection. I, I'm just curious, what, what's your perspective on dreaming? Oh, so we could we could probably spend a whole hour plus on dreaming. I actually went to a really fun conference just prior to COVID at MIT that was called Dream Engineering. And there is so much different research that is going into it. I am a big follower and sort of have explored lucid dreaming, which is now they're using LSD and some of those psychedelic drugs to basically do what lucid dreaming does. And lucid dreaming is very common amongst people that have suffered trauma as a way to manage it. So the dreamscape And what happens in dreams and why we dream throughout all different types of sleep is dreams are our way to process what happened during the day. And that's why if you are ruminating at night and you're carrying a lot of stress, instead of sort of filing those memories. So you think about in deep sleep, you're filing memories. And so if all day you put stuff on your desk, the equivalent, and then at night, if you were super crazy, amped up, you had to go file all those it would be a mess, right? Then you're like, I can't, I can't think through how to file this. But if you're peaceful, then you're like, no, this I'll get filed here. This will get filed there. This is going to go this. And your organization structure in your brain is much more able to file the memories, which is part of that function of sleep. Similar for emotions, right? So over the last two weeks, when you dream, you're basically deciding what hits short-term memory, what goes long-term memory, what you had for lunch last Tuesday may have fallen out already even. But if you had a huge argument or something happened to you on that Tuesday, two weeks ago, you're going to remember that. You keep going back to it of like, is that something I need to remember? And again, in an evolutionary perspective, we want to kind of rehash that. Ooh, that lion was at that watering hole last Tuesday. 
and he was there at high noon. So I shouldn't go back at high noon. I'm going to test that and try a different time that to avoid that stress. And so if it was stressful, you're going to remember it. And it's going to get filed in a, Ooh, I need to know that for later. But that's where you want to be as peaceful as possible as you make that sort of dreaming. And the way people remember it more is really it's about the frequency of your brain and what's happening. REM sleep looks a lot like being awake. And so when you wake up and you've been in REM sleep recently, you're more likely to remember your dreams, but it's also part of how your brain files them. So different people are going to file those differently. And it's kind of like you may file things neatly on a stack, but it's still on your desk. Those people are likely to remember their dreams. But if you're filing things and they're hitting further down, it's going to be harder for you to recall those and put those together. And the spiritual part is really kind of up to you. The role of spirituality is really very individual on how they go through those and what they think about the purpose of them. Sometimes it's just random things, but it's all of it really does serve the purpose of your brain trying to decide, is this important to keep or not important to keep? Thank you for sharing that. And that's so cool that you went on a, a conference right before COVID about dreaming. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, when I hear just patients, you know, observe their dreams or they're not, you know, dreaming and all of a sudden they start dreaming or, you know, sometimes you have that one dream that really, you know, is a message it feels like. And other times it's just completely random. I, I think there's lots of different cultural and spiritual perspectives to continually think about. And I, I remember, I, I forget it. I don't know if it was Matthew Walker or Neiman's book, or there was one other sleep expert, Why We Dream. I'm so sorry for the authors. I'm forgetting. I actually interviewed one of them, but it, it we talk about too, like, trauma, how trauma gets, you know, consolidated and organized in the brain during these different phases of sleep and whether or not dreaming happens or not. But, you know, our emotional capacity, I think, you know, and our emotional regulation is more resilient when we get great sleep and we do have some dream dream recall. You know, that, that's just my observation. Yeah. And hormones and sleep are all very tied. So, you know, you'll find uh, women in particular will have different sort of dream and uh, sleep patterns as they go through their monthly cycle. And as they go through pregnancy, as they go through menopause, all of those different things, you'll actually, there's lots of fun studies. Again, if we, that's where we could spend like days talking about dreaming, but hormones and sleep and dreaming are all very tied as well. So all of those can play a role in what you dream and how you dream and, and how crazy or, or interesting or emotional it is. Well, you've got it, given us a lot to think about and I, I so appreciate all your knowledge. And is there anything else like on your heart or your mind here that you want to leave the audience with? This has really become my, my little soapbox, but you know, sleep there's diet and exercise that get a lot of press and a lot of things talked about and sleep really is that third leg of that stool. And when you think about a long-term play, like I said, tracking your sleep, you may not see all of the results immediately, but investing in sleep, not necessarily just in products, but investing time and energy and respecting your sleep and making sure you get enough of it is really an investment in you and longevity and your health. Every disease of the elderly is attached to lack of sleep or has some comorbidity. Every mental illness has comorbidity with lack of sleep. A lot of your autoimmune diseases all you know, are tied to this lack of sleep and it doesn't make it any better for sure. So if you're investing in yourself, 
definitely include that sleep. It's a way to love yourself, care about yourself, find a way to love sleep and that part of your life. It's not taking something out of your day. It's actually giving back to you more than it's, you know, I just, I wish I had a few more hours and I'll give up sleep and I'll get this done. But actually, if you give to sleep, it really does give back to you. And so definitely find a way to love sleep in your life because it's certainly worth it. Great advice. Really great advice. And then Tara, it seems like you are always evolving your innovations and your technologies. And so can you just share a little bit more about how people can find more about um, what you've created recently and all the uh, all that good stuff? Yeah. So you can go to sleep.me. Very simple. Like there's no.com. It's just sleep.me. Think about sleep and yourself. And there's blogs and more information there if you want. If you want to find out more about me individually, there is a page there that's got everywhere I've been. But you also can go to terryyoungblood.com if you want to reach out and have questions for me personally too. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad we finally got to meet. I really have enjoyed uh, your innovations over the years and just yeah thank you for all your contribution to helping us all get a good night's sleep so thank you so much yes right back at you i I enjoy your gaba cream so uh, right back at you oh thank you thank you all for listening to the spectrum of health podcast i'm dr christine schaffner and i hope you enjoyed my conversation today with tara youngblood Check out all of her products at sleep.me. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, we'd be so grateful for a review on iTunes so we can share this information to help as many people as possible. Have a beautiful day.